Mindy, that was really amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm supposed to release the middle schoolers. Middle schoolers. Leave. Leave, middle schoolers. Go. And the, and the children's church. And the children's church. They're in Go. here today with us for Family Sunday. That's why... They don't trust me to do the announcements. It's probably a good thing, too. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story before I start preaching. This comes from my friend Josh, who uh, goes to this church, and he became a Christian about a year ago and took off like a rocket. It's really fun watching somebody grow the way he's grown. Here's a story that comes from a week ago in his job place. I had to take a co-worker for a break to the Starbucks in our store. And as we were sitting there, my store manager walked by us. I instantly felt some kind of crazy emotions going through my heart. I believe the Lord allows me to feel people's emotions through his spirit. As I felt these emotions, I asked my co-worker next to me if he'd picked up on anything as well. He told me no. I told him that when she comes back around, I'm going to ask her what's going on. When she came back around, I asked her if everything is okay, and she said, yes, why do you ask? And I told her, because I know that everything is not okay, and I feel like something is heavy on your heart and that you need prayer. That's bold, isn't it? As I said that, she looked at me and smiled and said, that's, that's funny, I'll see you in five minutes. Two hours go by and I've not seen her. I saw her in the back room, so I couldn't take it anymore. I had to grab her and ask her what's going on. When I asked her, she looked at me and told me that two days before, God had told her that he wanted me to pray over her. She said, she told the Lord that because she's my boss, she's not going to do that unless there's some kind of sign. Then she told me that she got her sign when I came in this morning without her saying anything, and I told her that she had something heavy on her heart, and I felt like she needed prayer. I told her that we should go to the office and do a prayer. I like that, do a prayer. When we got there, I told her that I wanted to tell her what kind of emotions were going on in my heart before she says anything. And as I start Going through the emotions that I felt, she starts crying and basically tells me that I was on point with every single emotion. Then I started to pray for her. It was the most amazing prayer that I've ever done. I honestly don't even remember what I prayed for, but I do remember telling her I I felt like God had done all this because she's so private about her life. And I feel like he wanted her to take a step forward in sharing her problem and getting prayer. And also that I felt like I was being tested to see if I would confront her and pray for her. The next day, the same co-worker that I took the break with, who's a non-believer, started asking me a lot of questions about God. To the point where I asked him what was going on, he told me that he was starting to be more open-minded and open-hearted toward God. And then today when I got to work, I pulled him aside to tell him that God would not let me do my morning prayers that day without agreeing to tell him that God wanted me to pray over him and his family and their unborn baby because they'd previously lost two babies before that. 
As I started praying, he just started crying and felt very emotional. And I told him that God loved him and that he would always be with him. Cool or what? It's wonderful. So let's just pray for that guy that he comes to know the Lord. He's next on the hit list. All right, we're on the faith series. And I'm calling this message, Help Me With My Unbelief. And there's a scripture reference that we all know. We've heard it many, many, many times. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that interesting? I I do believe, help, help me with my unbelief. And this verse is where most of us live most of the time. We're in a fight for faith. We're in a fight of faith. We're faced with circumstances that deny God's ability to help us. Our rational mind says, God can't fix this. And our hearts cry out for help to believe that he can and that he will. You see, the problem is we're spiritual beings stuck in a physical world. We're stuck in a world of cause and effect. And when we can't see the cause to get the effect, our faith slides. Oh, we believe. You know, so many of us believe he can, but we don't believe that he will. Or we believe he will, but he's not able to. We need help to believe. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Where does our help come from to believe? Who's going to help us and how? Well, here's the good news. We have a faith coach. God will not leave us alone to try to talk ourselves into miracle working faith. Jesus lives to help us to have more faith. Look at this verse from Hebrews 12. This is from the Amplified. Jesus who is the author and perfecter of faith. See, it comes from him. We don't manufacture it. We receive it. He comes from a world of faith. (laughs) Heaven is a world of faith. He comes from there as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I love the way the Amplified puts it. The first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. So he is committed to helping us in our unbelief. Now, how many of you have felt self criticism and self judgment because you couldn't believe the way you wanted to? Anybody? Come on, people, let's, gosh, let's be honest about this. We are condemning ourselves half the time. I don't have enough faith. I wish I had more faith. And we're trying to manufacture that faith and talk ourselves into something. God, Jesus, is committed to the successful conclusion of your struggle for faith. He starts it in the beginning, he works it through the middle, and he brings it into fullness. It's not just Jesus who's committing to help us to have faith. God the Father intervened repeatedly in Israel's history to 
to engender faith in his people. Do you remember Moses? What's the story of Moses? Moses was full of confidence in Egypt. He was actually pretty proud and pretty arrogant. His plan to liberate Israel goes radically wrong when he's discovered that he's killed a guy he shouldn't have killed, and he flees and he spends 40 years in the desert. 40 years accomplishing nothing as a nobody. And a bush starts talking to him. A burning bush that will not be consumed. And a voice comes out of that bush, and it's the voice of God. When was the last, he's now 80 years old. When was the last time he had an experience like that? Never. This is a God encounter. And the voice says, you're going to go to Egypt and and I want you to go there and confront the most powerful person in the world. The leader of the most powerful nation in the world. And you're going to go and confront him on my behalf for my people. And you're going to tell him from me, let my people go. That's a big order. Nobody's been asked to do anything like that in the entire Bible. And yet, it's a burning bush that talks. And he knows he's having an encounter with God. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that that ought to be enough? Like, if if that happened to you, Go tell your boss thus and so and tell him he needs to do this. But it was an encounter with God and you're actually hearing his voice. And it's miraculous because a bush is talking to you that's on fire but it doesn't get consumed. You're thinking to yourself, yes, I would go and do that, right? What's Moses' reaction? No. No. I'm not good enough. I don't know how to speak. I'm not capable. Get somebody else. Can't you find somebody else? Moses has a serious lack of faith. Moses has a very big unbelief issue working in his life. So God says, you make me sick, I'll find somebody else. People like you really bug me. I could get my kingdom accomplished if it weren't for losers like you. What's God's reaction? Come on, people. What's God's reaction? No, no, he doesn't just repeat the command. What does he do? Moses, what's that stick in your hand? That's my stick. Throw it on the ground. God does the stick into snake and back again miracle. Guys, come on now, the, the, the bush talked, wasn't consumed, now he does this stick, snake, and back miracle. Moses, are you going to go? What does Moses say? No. Now, God should be annoyed at this point. Who are you? I just did two of my best tricks. <laughs> like, I'm God, and I've been doing these card tricks, me and Jesus and the Spirit, working on this. And I just did this sleight of hand thing for you and you're not willing to go? I mean, what is the problem here? And God says, okay, all right, all right. 
disgusting. It smells. Put it back in. He does the hand, leprous in, leprous out, back again. Miracle. The third God encounter. The third ridiculous, overwhelmingly conclusive, powerful, I cannot doubt again, miracle. And what does Moses say? Send somebody else. I'm a bad public speaker. You can just see God going, why did I choose him? Should have chosen anyone but him. And God says, okay, Aaron's a good speaker. He's got the gift of gab. You take him. He'll be your PR department, but you're my man. There was no frustration in God in this encounter. God was adapting himself to Moses' unbelief in the hope, and it worked, that God could engender enough faith in him to get him to go and do what will be his destiny, his fulfillment, and his completion. Are you with me? Now, was this an isolated incident? Does the name Gideon ring a bell? Gideon is minding his own business on his farm, and the nation of Israel is in trouble. And they're being oppressed by the neighbors. And an angel of the Lord goes to Gideon and says, Oh, mighty warrior. And Gideon's looking over his shoulder like, Is there a mighty warrior in the room? Oh, mighty warrior. Now, this is what you're going to do. And what does Gideon say? No. I'm not good enough. I come from a tiny little... A nobody family. I mean, I'm a nothing. Get somebody else. And the angel strikes a rock, and out of the rock comes fire. Guys, that's a lot like the burning bush, only this time it's the burning rock. This is a stunt. I mean, this is like, I think I just had a supernatural encounter. And what does Gideon say? No. So he negotiates with with the angel of God. How about the fleece trick? You know, twice with the fleece. And And God does it. Two times. So Moses had three supernatural encounters before he would say yes. Gideon had three supernatural demonstrations before he would say yes. But what does he do? He goes and does it. Guys ever heard, you know, you make, you make one mistake and they label you with that mistake for the rest of your life. You make one mistake and they label you with that mistake for 2,000 years. Doubting Thomas. Do you really want to wear that on your T-shirt? You know, you go to those meetings and they put a little, hi, my name is Mark. Hi, my name is Doubting Thomas. Loser. After Jesus' resurrection, (laughs) Thomas, soon to be known as Doubting Thomas, refuses to believe that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He said he would not believe unless he saw the scars in Jesus' hands and touched the scars on Jesus' side. And Jesus appears, and his reaction is, Thomas, come and touch my scars. Don't you think that's kind of wonderful? 
It wasn't, Thomas, I can't use people like you. You are such a loser. You know, Jesus could have said, you know, I can't use you. You remind me of Gideon and Moses. Do you know that doubting Thomas took the greatest risk in the Bible? He left his country, he left his culture, he left his language, and he traveled all the way to India. And he lived in India until he was martyred there. And he brought our faith to India. The biggest doubter took the biggest risk. You bet it is, man. I mean, come on now. Come on. The, the guy with the worst case of doubt. His case, case of doubt is so bad it becomes his name. And he goes and takes the biggest risk and plants a church that's still there today. I, this matters to me because this week Bob Maddox and I met a couple from, he's from India and uh, his wife is from Southern California. They've been living here and this fellow from India, his grandfather is the John Wayne of India. They're filmmakers. There's statues of his father all over the country. And uh, they're working on a they're working on a feature film. They're putting it together to do the life of Thomas in India. I got the screenplay in my computer. It's really exciting, you guys. And if this project comes together, it's going to be amazing. From the greatest doubter to the greatest risk taker. None of these examples does God reject those who struggle with unbelief. His goal is to help us with our unbelief, not judge us for it. And the enemy's role is to see to it you believe he's going to judge you for it every single time, which, of course, will disqualify you from ever accomplishing anything. But here's my question, and I got intrigued by this. Why does he care so much that we have faith? Why is faith so important? Why is he willing to be our life coach to help us to believe? And I ran into this, well, actually, I didn't run into it. I, I, I thought of the word trust, how much it means to God that we trust him. So I started researching in the Bible the word trust. Here's some really interesting passages that came up. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Here's another good one. Well, before we get to that, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And I, I was looking particularly at the word rejoice and trust. I, I wanted to see the connection between rejoicing, happiness, and trust. So I went and looked at the Hebrew words here. The word that we translate here in this passage as rejoice, translates in these ways. Gladness, joy, merry, merriment, and glee, and being gleesome. Guys, that's a, that's a, pretty, uh, that's a pretty significant rejoicing. It is an emotional state we all desire and need. Does anyone here need gladness? 
Does anyone here need joy? Does anyone need, have you ever wanted to be merry just for a few minutes? I don't mean Mary Poplava, I mean M-E-R-R-Y. Have you ever wanted to feel like a child again? Seriously, have you ever wanted to be so carried away with happiness you were gleesome and goofy? That's rejoice. That's what that word means. It is an emotional state we all desire, but more than that, we don't just desire it, we need it because we were designed by God to function in it. We were designed for happiness. We were designed for faith. We were designed for joy. We were designed for peace. We were designed for contentment. We were not designed for fear. The opposite of faith is fear. It's not unbelief. No, no. Unbelief breeds fear and insecurity. And we were not made for those things. Here's a, here's a great verse. This is cool. You will keep in perfect peace, okay? Perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Here's this relationship now. First one we saw is between trust and joy. Now it's between trust and peace. So we can add the benefits to trusting to include peace. Perfect peace. Perfect peace. So I looked that up. Here's what it translates to. Welfare, soundness, and but welfare that's not welfare. You know? Like the source of our perfect peace is not the federal government. <laughs> Shock of shocks. This is a this is a state of well-being. Your welfare, your general quality of life. Perfect peace, welfare, soundness, safety, health, prosperity, tranquility, and contentment. Oh man, people, I need a truckload of tranquility and contentment. I am a sponge in need of sucking up tranquility and contentment. Anybody with me in this? But look at this, this is so cool. Whose minds are steadfast. Now, you are a legalist, which all of us are inside. There's a little Pharisee inside each one of us screaming to take control of our lives. You would think, oh, yeah, I get it, yeah. I get perfect peace as long as my mind is steadfast. Great. The burden of belief just fell right back on me. I got to be steadfast. Here's the Hebrew word, What steadfast translates as lean upon, rest upon, lay upon, and sustain. Now you're getting the sense here, I hope, that when your mind is steadfast, it's not because you're so mighty and powerful in your ability to believe. It's because you're leaning on, resting upon, and laying upon Him. You see? This this isn't about you. It's about how faithful he is and that you can trust him to put yourself, your life upon him and rest upon him and lean upon him. Now reading these, these two uh, 
We're going to get to trust, what trust means in a minute. But and the key here is what trust means. We're going to, that's, that's the real goal in this message. But before we get there, we're going to look at this conclusion based on just these two verses. And there's many, many more we can use to reach this conclusion. We reach the conclusion that faith brings emotional happiness as well as a mental state of health, soundness, peace, tranquility, and contentment. It is an emotional state. that trusting him brings. Now what's interesting in these verses is that these verses use the word trust rather than the word faith. Did you notice that? Now that may, you may think that the word faith and the word trust are basically the same thing. They're not. And that's what makes this thing interesting. They don't say he who has faith. They say he who trusts. And the question is, is there a difference between having faith in God and trusting God? And the answer is yes. And that's fascinating. What is the difference between having faith or trusting God? And the word trust used here always in the Old Testament refers to an emotional state. that state of contentment, that state of peace. When they're talking about trust, it's always referring to an emotional state. So when I looked up that word trust, I went to the theological word book of the Old Testament, which is really a helpful resource. And here's how it described Barak. Batak, I should say, which is the word trust. Here's how it describes it. And listen carefully. It expresses that sense of well-being, that emotional sense of well-being and security, which results from having something or someone in whom to place confidence. Now, this is important. This would seem to indicate that Batak does not connote that full-orbed intellectual and volitional, which means choosing, and volitional response to revelation, which is involved in faith. Rather, trust is stressing the feeling of being safe and secure. Now let that sink in for a minute. Trust is a verb, but it's also a noun which is describing a state of being. An emotional state of contentment and tranquility, a sense of well-being, a sense of peace, all of these things. And they're contrasting it with faith, which is an intellectual, I just got it, I understand something in my head. And a choosing that follows from that understanding, which is a response to revelation. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word. You It is revealed to you as revelation, and when you get that revelation, you then make a choice. Right, John? Your first sermon in the series. You hear it, you choose to believe it, you obey it, and you see it. And this is just reflecting exactly what he taught in the opening message. God speaks truth to you either through your... I I taught this sermon a couple Sundays ago. 
either through your study of the Bible and a word pops off the page and you go, wow, I get it. Or he speaks it to you directly, mind to mind, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, and you get it because it's revelation. And once you have that, you have a choice. You have volition. You must choose. Am I going to believe this or not? But once you make that choice and you begin believing it and you begin living it as best you can in your circumstances, trust begins to happen inside of you. And you begin to come into that state of intimacy with God and contentment and trust and security and satisfaction that is a state of living that we all crave and we all need. The ability to make this choice to trust God comes from faith which has to do with revelation from God through the Holy Spirit. Once we make this choice to believe, we begin to experience the state of trusting God which is an emotional condition we all desire and need. Now, I I just... uh, I've been bothered by this message since I wrote it because this is a subtle distinction and I really don't want us to be confused and it's complicated to me. The explanation may be somewhat complicated but the experience is not. You know it when it starts to happen within you. God promises great peace, joy, well-being, all those things we've discussed for those who listen to God's promises, choose to believe them and that's an act of the will It's an act of the will. It seems crazy, but I'm going to choose to believe it. I have no evidence right now. In the physical, natural world, I have no evidence, but I'm going to believe it because he's told me. I have a sense he's told me I'm going to choose to believe it. It's a choice. And act accordingly. And these two things, there are two things that help us in the process. That's Canadian process. There's two things that help us in the process of choosing to believe what he said. There's two things that help us in the process. It's hard being a foreigner in a strange land. Two things that help us in the process of choosing to believe what he has said. Don't, Don't bring the next one up. Okay. There's two things that help us. To believe, make the choice to believe that we can do, something we can do. The first one for sure is all on us. This one's all on us. What do you think is the key in your life to beginning to believe for more and more good from God? There's something you can do. Any ideas? Definitely, he says that, but that's not, that's good, I'm, but I'm not, that's really good, but I forgot that, so I'd, re- I'd really appreciate if you don't interrupt me anymore, you're making me look bad in front of my wife, not that that bothers me, she knows me, but you're making me look bad in front of these people who think I'm special, that's good, ask, seek, and knock, what else, come on. 
Well, you're gonna, yeah, if you dwell in the promises and you keep in the promises, the promises are going to speak to you. At some point, the Holy Spirit's going to yellow highlight one and it's going to pop off the page and you're going to begin to believe. That's not what I was thinking. Thanks again for humiliating me in front of my people. There's a practice we can choose to do which doesn't require Holy Spirit intervention in speaking. There's another practice beyond asking and dwelling in the promises that if we make it our go-to position, it's going to lead us... Hmm? No, well, there, there. You people are pathetic. You are worse than Moses, worse than Gideon, and worse than doubting to Tom. And the very fact that no one's come up with it tells us how much we need to do it. It hasn't even crossed your flipping minds. Charades. Three syllables. This is a hard one. I give up. Thankfulness. If you practice a lifestyle of looking for things to be thankful for, you will discover your faith increasing. Because you're dwelling on the goodness of God in all of the myriad little details of your life. You're dwelling on the goodness of God and you will find your attitude of belief changing. You are thinking better of Him all the time and as you're thinking better of Him, you're believing more of His goodness to you. And it changes your whole attitude towards the people you work and live with. You will become thankful for your spouse. It's a miracle. Thank, shut up. Thankfulness, people. If you, if you, and and you know you don't have to be spiritually uh, inspired to do it. You just say, "I am going to be thankful today." I need to find something to be thankful for. Like, say, for instance, in the last three months, how about the sun? I saw the sun the other day. It shocked me and caused fear. What is that in the sky? Is this the second coming? Have I sinned lately? Am I going to make it? Just find something to be thankful for. And start dwelling on the things you can be thankful for. Okay, that's the number one. Every time we choose to find something to be thankful for, we remind ourselves of God's goodness and His love towards us. This empowers our faith and disempowers our doubt. This is why God tells us over and over again to be thankful. It's not because he needs the ego boost. It's because it is good for us. We need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. Okay. Now here's a radical one. It's not going to make sense when I first say it. But you've got to think about it for a minute. The second thing that will help you in coming to that state of trust and peace and contentment is this. The more hopeless the problem, the easier it is to trust God. Now that's counterintuitive, isn't it? 
That one, that puppy make no sense at all. Okay, (laughs) what I mean by this is that when you have no control over your circumstances, you have no choice but to put your trust in God. As long as you have a shred of belief that you can fix it, as long as you think, you know, this is going to be hard, but, but I, I got some control in this situation. There's something I can do to save myself. There's something I can do to get out of this problem. Then you're going to, you're going to default to that every single time. And you're going to knock yourself out trying to do something that probably just happens to be, in this dire case, impossible. But when you come to the point... And you realize there is nothing I can do on this. Then you got a really simple choice. Live in misery and despair, which is a crappy lifestyle. Or admit it. I can't fix myself in this. There's nothing I can do. So I can trust God. And that's all that's left to me. That's the choice. So I'm going to trust God. Listen, when we believe we have control over our destiny, we will withhold complete trust from God. To the degree we withhold our trust in God is the degree to which we do not experience His supernatural peace. Trust and peace are proportional. The more you trust, the more peace you experience. The more you trust, the more joy you experience. Remember the first time I realized my future success was not in my control. I'd left a successful law practice to go out on my own. I had great financial security in that that previous practice. I left it to start a two-man firm. We had few clients. We had little source of income. I remember the moment I was driving down the hill from my office... And this thought hit me, you've put all your eggs in one basket. You've put all your eggs in one basket. And this fear just (laughs) rose up in me. And I thought, what have I done? Then I realized that my life was exactly where it was supposed to be. In the hands of God and not in my own hands. And the peace came and I started rejoicing in the risk I was taking because I realized there's no better place to be than trusting him with everything. Now, there's two applications for this message for us, at least two. The first has to do with living a lifestyle of thanks and thanksgiving and thankfulness. And the second has to do with letting go of the craving for control over your life. What's your issue? Let's close our eyes and let's ask the Lord to speak to us about this. Father, I am certain that everybody here would really like to live in peace and contentment with you and not have anxiety, just have trust. That's our desire, Lord. That's what you designed us for. That's your will for us. But we need your help. 
We need your help to show us all the things we can be thankful for that we can attribute to you. We need to see these things, Lord. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would start showing each one of us the things we have to be thankful for that we've been forgetful of that we've not paid attention to. Just begin now, Lord, I pray that you would that you would show us those things that we've neglected. That when we're thankful for them, we begin to experience more of you and we trust you more. Holy Spirit, we all are control freaks. We so much want control of our lives and we will cling to it until a crisis forces us to admit we don't have control. And then we curse the crisis, but it might be be the, the very means of our freedom. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to each one of us right now and tell us what our life would look like if we let go of that craving for control. Lord, if you just just show us for a minute, what would it feel like if I let go of the craving for control of my life and I just relinquished it and said, you know what, I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you, Lord. What would it feel like God, give us a little glimpse here, please, right now. What would it feel like to not have that craving for control? Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from you. I ask you right now to speak to each one of us Whatever it is we need to hear from you to let go of control and trust you and enter into that peace that comes when we let go of control. Holy Spirit, what, to each person here that's unique, what do you want to say? Now listen, just listen to the thought that comes to your mind. Father, what do you want to say? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? Jesus, what do you want to say? If you want help in being thankful, if you want help in letting go of control, you want someone to pray with you, why don't you come forward? You're dismissed, but if you'd like prayer for this, we'll pray for you. Don't want anyone to leave without getting prayer for whatever they need. So go and trust, all right? Go and be thankful and go and trust. Amen. Mm-hmm.